technically Krull is set on a distant planet and the villains are an alien force, but it's really more of a traditional fantasy movie. Princess Peach is trapped in an unidentified flying castle, and our bland hero must save her with his magic boomerang. Oh hey, it's Liam Neeson. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. I come in peace. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together and we talk about a movie. This episode was a, a vote episode. Our patrons at the Patreon voting tier and up uh, voted between three cultish sci-fi movies from the 80s. Where all of our votes over the next few months are all going to be 80s themed, but they're all going to have sub-themes. And this was sort of the cult movies. And the winner of the three was Krull. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, yep. So, you know, as always, we'll start spoiler-free before we get into, into the... Well, the spoilers. <laughs> that, that's how that goes. It's, it's, it's Is that pretty, what happens afterwards? It's pretty self-explanatory, I must admit. Huh. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll do that. We'll talk about the movie. Uh, before we get into it, though, I'll just say, if you are enjoying the show, do hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch if you do. And if you want to support the show and help keep it coming, you can get some bonus content. We do some bonus monthly shows over on patreon.com slash TV. I'll tell you more about those specifically at the end of the show, but uh, good to point that out. So... Mm-hmm. Crawl. Crawl. David. Yeah. I'm going to just change up how I ask this question because I normally just say, How did you feel about X movie? Right? Yeah. Uh huh. I don't even explain the premise yet. I'm just going to start off with a slightly different question. Okay. How do you think I felt about Crawl? <clears throat> I. I'm so happy you asked that. <laughs> I was going to do a whole bit where I had like a sealed envelope with my thoughts of your thoughts inside of it and not reveal it until afterwards, but I forgot. So I'm happy you asked that because there is no way in hell that you liked this movie. I think you might have tolerated this movie. I think that you could find some things that were okay in this movie, but there is no way in hell you liked this movie. <laughs> See, I I wasn't sure what I was expecting, right? Mm-hmm. But a straight-up fantasy movie that has a few laser beams was not what I thought I was getting into. Yes. And very, very quickly, I, I had this sinking feeling of, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. no. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And it's not even a good fantasy movie. It's not even like I'm just going to be mean about it. It also sucks. It's also shit. But, yeah. All right, all right, all right. I, I because I didn't give my feelings here, I will say I did have some fun with this movie. I think that it's kind of just a turn-your-brain-off sort of movie. It's not something that you go into it with, like, a critical eye, which is a problem for this show, admittedly. Um, but, no, it, it's just kind of... It felt like someone took their D&D adventure and just threw it up on the screen, and that's all it was in the end. It was mm. some guy... To, to the point where, at, at one point in this movie, there's an NPC that's introduced that seems very, very important. And... Long story short, he ends up not being around anymore due to the, like, character's actions. So then they have to find a second NPC that does this very important thing. And it felt like, to me, that was the point where the party, like, failed a mission 
and they like rolled poorly mm. and then the dm had to sit there and go like ah geez all right well uh you find this new npc and it's like all right sure why not yeah i bet you most dungeon masters though actually playing D would tell a better more compelling story than this did probably so i actually i want to i want to ask you a question here mm-hmm. and obviously you've been on 200 plus more episodes of this show than me so how do you define science fiction and to <laughs> to a larger extent here obviously this is leaning more towards science fantasy something more like you know your star wars or whatever but like how do you define the difference between fantasy and science fantasy <laughs> well i'll say that for this movie I think even science fantasy is a bit of a stretch. I think this movie is yeah. a fantasy with a little toe dipped, just dipped into sci-fi. I was I was wondering if I was going to have to argue this point with you because no, I 100% no, no, no. agree. No, no. It's not. It's, it's not a science movie you, you at all. You see something floating in space at the start and there's some laser beam style uh, blaster weapons and also every mm-hmm. sword when it clangs together makes like a red lightning effect i mean yeah. don't get me wrong i think it's clear that this movie is, was greenlit because star wars was successful there's actually kind of still a oh, lot yeah. of star wars in this despite the fact that it veers even further away from science fiction but star, mm-hmm. star wars by comparison to this looks like 2001 a space odyssey compared to this it, yeah because because this this doesn't even pretend and the worst thing for me is the movie is very much just a series of new things that are introduced without any real explanation it's just a simple case of here's a, another location or macguffin that we must pass this will be very very difficult and then it's very very easy and nothing interesting happens and then we go on to the next thing there's a great example very early on because the movie kind of rushes through its like setup if i'm honest which mm-hmm. is was concerning to me because the movie's two hours long and I was like, wait, if we're rushing through this part, then you better have some meaty stuff after it. There's there's a point where one of the characters is like looking at another character as he's theoretically dying and he's just like, we didn't have enough time. And I'm like, what did you do for two hours? <laughs> what were you doing if you did not have time? Uh, you did nothing for two hours because I felt nothing. Uh, yeah. No, there's an example early on, uh, and it's a perfect example of what I mean, is that we have our Obi-Wan Kenobi character, who is just an old one, who shows up mm-hmm. out of nowhere with really no explanation of what an old one is, other than just he's an old guy. But he shows up, and he tells the main character, Colwyn, he's not Krull. I thought the main character was going to be called Krull. Turns out the planet's called Krull, just to clear that just up. Just to really mess with you, yeah. Off, off the bat. Um... But he is told that he needs a special weapon. And I was like, oh, this is a bit, you know, Sword in the Stone, King Arthur-y maybe. Like, mm-hmm. he's saying, hey, you have to climb up this mountain. And Colwyn says, if I, you know, I'll come back with that weapon, I promise. And the old man says, no, you either come back with that weapon or you won't come back at all. Which implies that there will be trials and tribulations to getting <clears throat> this weapon. It implies that there'll, there'll maybe be some puzzle solving, and it's, or, mm-hmm. at the very least, there'll be some death defying. And then we get almost a five-minute montage of him just casually claiming a, a mountain. And it's very casual. There's no, there's, it's never a struggle. It's never like he's almost fallen off or anything. It's very, very yeah. casual. It's a bit of a hike, a bit of a climb. He goes into a cave... And the weapon is just in some water. He picks it up and that's it. He leaves with it and he's, it, it cuts straight to him next to the old man saying, hey, got it. <laughs> it's it's not even in some water. I think it's in some lava. But the funniest part is 
it doesn't affect him. It is just water. Was that like, maybe lava? I thought it was just. Sli- I thought it was. I thought it was just water with a bit of a mist on top. <laughs> no, it was like red, and there was fire everywhere. I thought it was supposed to be lava. Oh, I don't, like I. I no, be, I agree. I'm going to be upfront about this. I was struggling to pay attention to this, and I wasn't doing anything else. I was, I was, you know, I, I never, I never sit and play games or anything like that when I'm watching movies for for the show. Mm-hmm. I was sitting paying attention, but I was almost falling asleep repeatedly during this movie. No, that's fair. So I don't that's remember lava, fair. but I'll take your word that that was the intention. Because there's definitely some dodgy fire effects elsewhere in this movie, so I I, I could believe yeah. that there was some fire off to the side I may have missed. Oh. Yeah, no, but like the whole reason that I brought up that thing about whether or not it's science, fantasy, or just fantasy is that I I was looking through like reviews of this and trivia of this and like how people felt about it when it came out. And by the way, box office flop did not do well, but I'm shocked. Everyone who came back to it after the fact was talking about it as like a cult film or something. And that's fine. You can have a cult film that's not great, but they all called it like a sci-fi classic or a science fantasy epic. And I'm like, there's no science here, at least not in the story itself. There's a narration at the very beginning as we see like the space stuff where it says like, oh, there's this thing and uh, there's a prophecy of a couple that will give birth to a son and he will rule the galaxy. And then that just doesn't happen. That's not a part of the story we see. And at the very end, the narration comes back and says, and now we will have a, a couple and their son will rule the galaxy. Just literally repeating the first lines. Well, and the, it's the, like... the, 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 the son was going to be born in the sequel, you see. Right? This is just setting up the right. couple getting together. And then the second movie would have the son. <laughs> third movie would have the galaxy. Okay, that's that, that was going to be the, the progression. I, I would have loved to see... <laughs> this pop up and it says specifically like crawl episode one that would have been <laughs> the best intro uh or at the end maybe just a big uh uh bubble like a bubble gum yeah. bubble saying we'll be back uh, i'm not when is this coming out in relation to that because i want to be able to oh it just came out last week yeah no Mac yeah. and Me sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check out X Reels on Patreon for us reviewing Mac and Me, which is actually more of a sci-fi movie than this is, funnily enough. It is so much more of a sci-fi movie. But this this is on sci-fi list. It's on every like cult like B movie sci-fi mm-hmm. list. And technically there's some space and technically I mean, I guess the biggest thing is we're on a planet called Crawl. I guess that is the, the, the most sci-fi thing you could say about it. <laughs> yes, we are. But, like, how often does a character even mention that? How often does a character even mention the fact that, like, this planet is not just, you know, D&D Earth, pretty much. Just the made-up fairy tale Earth, mm. you know? See, I mean, this, I remember them saying it a couple of times early on, but, you know, I don't mm. I, Yeah, admittedly, does it matter that it's named Crawl? Really? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, honestly, we open up the fact with these two like warring kingdoms or something like that are coming together for a wedding. The kingdom may as well have just been named Krull. Like, there's no reason for the to be a planetary wide thing. Which honestly, I'm going to put out my theory here is that this was a shelved script that was sitting around since like the 70s when fantasy movies were like big with Conan and stuff like that. And then I when mean, Star Wars Con- came Conan out, Conan was the just, 80s, but uh, sure. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, you know, comics and stuff like oh, that. Oh, comics, where, like, okay, okay. Fantasy was, like, a big selling point. Um, 
but then they just dusted it off and said, okay, Star Wars is big. Let's just make it so that this evil castle thing is from space and the evil guys have laser swords. There you go. That's now a science fiction movie. Yeah, but once they break into the, the evil castle, right, the spaceship mm-hmm. castle that's made of wood, which doesn't seem like very good for space travel. Uh, no, not really. It's, just, it's a big tree trunk. That's effectively what it was when it was floating through space at the start. But once they get in there, it just feels like, oh, this is just them rescuing Leia from the Death Star, except in Star Wars, when they get to Leia, she's an interesting character and mm-hmm. challenges their ideas of what a hero is. Here... No, the princess just does need saved. There's there's no subversion yeah. to it. There's no twist to it. It's it's just no. And not only that, and we're still not in spoilers yet. I'll just say that all of the action with the main character with his special weapon is him standing. He throws it. He keeps oh his hand God. out, and he just watches as the weapon does stuff, and occasionally smiles as he says, "Oh, it's working." I, I'm not gonna lie. I love that part. I love that part in, like, the worst way. Yeah, I sure. loved it in the same but way of, like, sequences from Mac and me. From a critique point of view, this might be the laziest action that I have ever seen oh, yeah. in a movie. It's embarrassingly, stupidly bad. Absolutely. There's there's this part in the movie where the, so the, I guess, foot soldier, whatever you want to call them, are called slayers. And every single yes. time these guys, like, freak out and they're like, slayers! And then... They're literal stormtroopers with stormtrooper aim because they just stand off to the side and fire off their laser things and they could maybe hit the broadside of a barn if they're lucky. But like <laughs> none of these scenes have any sort of tension to them because they just casually stroll through all the laser fire and yeah. they just escape. The only time there is even the smallest bit of tension is when they realize like, oh, wait, we can also do melee combat. And then they like actually start fighting. But even then, like everyone makes it out almost all of the time. Yeah, the Slayer outfits and also the other types of like henchmen, because these are the one things that feel that are slightly sci-fi twisted in their costume design. It feels like it feels mm-hmm. like it took, okay, a fantasy suit of armor, but mix it with a stormtrooper, and you get kind of this weird mashup in their outfits. But yeah. that's just those like henchman villain characters. All the main characters are just out of a D and D fantasy style yeah. story. They all look like that. There's nothing else to them. It, but, yeah, baffling structure. Yeah, it's, it's just nothing but a series of like out of nowhere MacGuffins where all of a sudden someone else talk about something if it's super important. Like the old mm-hmm. man character just brings up new things mm-hmm. they have to do or new things they have to find at random. I'm telling you, I, the old man is the DM. The old man <laughs> is the DM who's like, well, we're going to have to go do this thing now. Roll for initiative. Seriously, the, the most interesting thing that happens in this movie is that at some point you see a young Liam Neeson and you go, yeah. oh, that's Liam Neeson. And I actually, because when the name came up, I thought I read Leslie Nielsen for a second because that felt more time appropriate. And then yeah. I went, no, it said Neeson. It's Liam Neeson. This is like, okay, we're going to get really young Liam Neeson. And yeah, he's yep. there. Uh, it was uh, Liam Neeson and the other one was Robbie Coltrane was here as a very young actor. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, now you're mm-hmm. saying it, I can recognize him. He, he looked a bit different, though. I didn't notice him Yeah, right he away. had like the weird Mario mustache going on. Do you, do you only know who Robbie Coltrane is because of Harry Potter? I know I've seen him in something else, but Robbie Coltrane is first and foremost Hagrid. Yeah, because uh, he, he was a famous actor in Scotland, because he's a Scottish actor, mm. uh, long yeah. before uh, Harry Potter came rolling around. He was on a, he was on a TV show in the UK about uh, solving murders that he was famous for. Oh, okay. Plus he, uh, he, he'd guessed on anything that was made in Scotland pretty much. He was just one of those guys that would pop up in a lot of things. Fair enough. 
I'm just trying to see what else I recognize him in here. Uh, not a lot. I know I've seen him in other stuff, but oh, was he in Goldeneye? Oh, he may have yeah, been. I've seen, yeah, I've seen Goldeneye. I guess he was in that. So I haven't seen enough. Goldeneye, funnily enough. Oh, well, there you go. Eventually on Collector's Cut, we'll get there. Uh, I suppose we'll have to do the Bond movies at some point. I'm not thrilled about the idea. Uh... More or less thrilled versus Krull. Okay, I at least think I'll be able to make fun of those more in a more entertaining way than, than Krull. I'll give them that. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I... Honestly, I'm a little worried that once we start going through this movie, it'll be the quickest review we've ever done, because I don't know how much I've got to say about individual plot points and scenes. In fact, I am going to be shocked if I can remember most of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best here, but I think that most of this is more going to come down to individual characters rather than the scenes themselves, because, like you said, the scenes are just essentially disjointed little, like, beginning and end of sessions of D&D, pretty much. It's like, well, you've made it through the swamp. We'll meet up next Tuesday and we'll do it again. Yeah, we'll go through the desert area. Now we'll go through the the, the, yep. the forest area. Now we'll go through the snowy hey guys, area. I, I just got some new spider minis. I'm going to use those in an encounter next week. Yeah. Let's go ahead and set that up. Another problem I have with it is I get that it's meant to be a slightly more lighthearted, stale adventure, but the mm-hmm. whole point of this movie is that the princess has been kidnapped right before or during the wedding to her main character and he's desperate to go save her and i felt like his attitude throughout most of the movie was very upbeat and happy for someone who should be terrified about getting to his wife and saving her before the evil monster that runs the castle like Mm -hmm. like i don't know i just i felt like every he would just be smelling and be charming people and he'd just be very upbeat all the time and i'm like why are you in such a good mood (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think that it's especially strange because one of the very first things once he wakes up after the attack is he's told that his father is killed and his wife has been kidnapped. And he sobs. He cries. <laughs> he weeps. He is full on grief. And then like 30 seconds later, he's like, all right, adventure time. Let's go pick up a merry band of travelers and we'll go fight the Beast King. It's yeah. like, all right, dude, you do you. And a lot of this is on the writing so I don't want to just yeah. blame the actor, but he is the blandest slice of white <laughs> bread that has ever walked the earth. That's fair. I looked up what he did afterwards, and by that I mean nothing. There's nothing. He's been in, like, a couple <laughs> TV shows, but he is not a leading man. Ah, uh, yeah. So you're telling me Ken Marshall's not a household name? It could have been, mainly because of how bland it is. You would just say it as a generic white guy name, but <laughs> nope. He retired, it looks like, in 2003, so... Okay. Oh, it looks like the female lead has, has braid, Lizette Anthony, the actress. It looks like she's kept doing things up until quite recently, at least on yeah. some... Hollyoaks? She was on Hollyoaks? I guess. I don't know what Hollyoaks is. It's a daytime UK soap. <laughs> oh. Well, that explains a couple things. 447 episodes between 2008 and 2022. I guess she was a main character then. She must have been. Fair enough. Uh, so, at least she did some stuff in British TV then. Uh, not not, yeah. not high art, but it's a soap. But, you know, yeah. she got a paycheck. You know, she... I was going to say, it's uh, honestly, the only thing you really need to know from this movie, like, actor-wise, is Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. Everyone else is like, yeah, they were there, I guess. Yeah. No, I actually, I, I recognize one more guy, uh, Turkle, uh, 
Alan Armstrong. I recognize oh, his face okay. from things. I didn't. I his face looked familiar, but I couldn't tell like okay, before, anything based off what he did. Before I scroll down, I'm pretty sure he's in Braveheart. I'm. I mean, I'm going to scroll down now. Right, I'm Braveheart. On his page. All right. Okay. He's in Mummy Returns. Yeah, which I've he's also in seen. Van Helsing. Uh, he is in Braveheart. I was right. All right. Good job. I knew I knew his face from something. The other one that stood out to me, uh, only because. I briefly thought he was a Monty Python actor, and apparently he wasn't. Is the magician character? Um, oh, the wizard. God, yeah, yeah. Ergo, his name is David Batley, and his only thing that I could really recognize him from was he was the professor teacher guy in the original Willy Wonka movie. Actually, but it's no, funny no. you keep comparing it to D and D because that character. The one D and D campaign sort of podcast that I've listened to, the, the, the wizard character in that campaign, uh, for a lot of the campaign, turned into an animal to appease another party member who was missing their animal. And wow! So when that that kind of happens in this movie, the, well, the yeah. running j- joke in this movie is that the wizard keeps getting his spells wrong, and ter- instead of turning the villains into animals, he keeps turning himself into animals. So mm-hmm. as soon as he started doing that, I'm like. Oh, this is just like D&D. This is the sort of stupid thing that right. characters do in D&D. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a D&D quest. Like, that's all it is. But with less story. I mean, <laughs> it. yes. It feels to be like an ADD dungeon master where he's just like, guys, I had this really cool idea and we're just going to run with it and I'll like fit it into the larger narrative. But then by the time he reaches the final battle and everyone's like, we got to wrap up this campaign, dude. He's like, oh, I haven't set anything up. Hey, do you still have that crazy weapon I gave you back in the first session? All right, just go ahead and throw that. It'll take care of everything. Yeah. Not that he's used it in any of the sessions in between. Nah. They just put it in a bag of holding and forgot about it. Oh, dear. So... Yeah, I I have not a lot to to, to That's fine. say positively That's on fair. this. It it it's campy. It's kind of cheap looking. Mm. Uh, you know, and which I, is I mean, it is an based off of at the time, it was expensive as hell to make. Yeah, but I'm thinking if you compare it to like compare it to Star Wars, which is which is clearly mm-hmm. you know greenlit because of like Star Wars looks way better than this in terms of its effects oh, and its, yeah. its practical. Uh, miniatures and things like that like the the, yep. the the ship coming at the start of this was clearly a big step down from that kind of stuff so uh, mm-hmm. regardless of the amount of money spent on it it still looked kind of cheap uh, compared to the standouts of the of the time so yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing to really recommend outside of unless you like this type of style of story that you might get a few chuckles out of how bad it is yeah i mean if you want a D movie that's not like self-aware that's not something where it's like because you know obviously the newest D movies are a bit more of that self-aware humor mm. this is just classic like 80s sort of fantasy movie this is honestly this is every 80s fantasy movie just all at once it just threw everything into the pot took out the skim off the top and said yep that's our script there you go Actually, the self-awareness of like modern D D movies probably makes some sense and just in this if you think of what D&D is, and it's people playing these characters, and because it's people playing a game, they tend to like crack a lot of jokes, and a lot of the players' personalities go into the characters. So in mm-hmm. a weird way, having D&D characters in a D&D movie have a little bit of a self-referential quality. As much as I'm sick of that in a lot of genres right now, it yeah. does kind of work for D&D, because ultimately... 
like I'm sure there's some groups of players, some parties who play D and D and take it super seriously and try and craft like a perfect story out of it. Right. But most people will probably have a little bit of a tongue in cheek as they're playing and try and do the silly things because that's yeah. part of the fun of D and D is it's to game can, night with friends. Yeah. Can you get away with you know the 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 dungeon masters set up this fancy lock where you have to do all these things to unlock it, but can we stack fifty boxes and just get over the <laughs> wall that way and. The beauty of D&D is that that may work and yeah. you can cheat the system a little bit. Um, as long as your dice rolls work out, you can do whatever you want. Pretty much, pretty much. So, yeah. All right, spoilers. I'm gonna... <laughs> uh, before spoilers, just want to say I am still doing my homework. Tune in to the end to see oh, what yes. much better movie I watched instead. <laughs> spoilers now, spoilers. Yeah. You could have watched a bad movie. We don't know. I, I could have. But, like, would I? That's the question. I'm going to be saving all the worst stuff until the end of homework. We'll be on episode 400. I'll be like, I watched one of the Transformers movies. Eh. Yeah, that's on you if you pick Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. What's funny is that, you know, we recognized a couple of actors. I bet there's, like, people from the UK in their 50s that recognize a lot more people in this because i'm willing to bet oh, that yeah. a lot of the the group because there's a lot of excess like red shirts who come along with liam neeson and uh Torkel, who kind of run this little group of mm. rogues and bandits yeah. yeah um i bet they're all like veteran british actors who popped up in a lot of tv stuff for years yeah I, i'm on to bet your money on it seems i mean it's weird because obviously you do have like the female lead is this someone who's been on well i don't know if at the time but she has gone on to do a whole bunch of soap opera stuff like she had a career but then people like liam neeson and robbie coltrane this is one of their earliest credits period so sure, yeah, it yeah. was at least a mix of people who were well known and brand new as well <laughs> they should have conjured a phone with some magic gave it to liam neeson he could tell the monster hey now i've got a particular set of skills <laughs> He's, the, the prince calls it up and says, hey, can you can you talk to him? And he's just like, why? What do he do? He's like, he took my wife. And he's like, oh, my God. He took something from you? I'm an expert in taking things back. <laughs> <laughs> and then whatever Robbie Coltrane is known for over in the UK. I, I would just say Hagrid, but you say that he's more well-known than that. Well, so. look at me wrong. People my age and younger will know him as Hagrid, but I think... And I, I've never even seen the cop show that he was on, uh, Cracker, but I do know he's famous for saying, there's been a murder. I think. I think That's he said that. That's a very unique line there. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. People always crack jokes about it. People of an That's older fine. age than me quote that line when they're talking about that show i've never seen that show before my time fair enough make that your uh post columbo show start watching through that no no one's going to care about some old uk (laughs) show Um, we really we really could hit that 70 plus demographic man (laughs) take advantage of it oh dear uh all right spoilers for the movie then although i don't know what the hell i'm going to spoil if i'm honest but uh yeah the movie opens with the the spaceship coming towards the 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 planet crawl the narration tells us about the prophecy which is irrelevant for this movie (laughs) uh it it lands and then we just cut to you know the the palace or wherever we are and Mm -hmm. the princess is waiting on. Oh, I've just noticed the princess. His name is Lissa, and the actress yeah. is called Lizette. 
It's actually, it's like they just changed a couple of oh, letters yeah. at the end. I just, I don't know, just. I, I think that's just happenstance. I don't think Probably. they were like, she's not answering whenever we call her character's name. How do we deal with that? Uh, so she's waiting for her, her soon-to-be husband to arrive, and it turns out that their marriage is uniting the two rival clans or, or royal families. Kingdoms, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the two dads are, are begrudgingly doing it. Um, they're kind of judgmental of the other one's kid, but they kind of agree that they kind of need to unite because it seems like there's some time has passed since the uh, the Black Palace. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The ship? Whatever it is. Black Castle, Black something. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, it's weird because we see it land. We see it come out of space. And then people are just kind of talking about it as if it's been around for like generations. Yeah, yeah. Because so, they're like, oh, the Slayers, I, the Slayers are coming for us. And all I can hear in my head is, do, 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 um, but no, I, I I think it is such a weird pacing thing, though, because they they specifically are saying, hey, you can come for the wedding and all that, but like bring an army. We're going to have to stand up against the Beast King or whatever his name is. And then they arrive with like seven people and they say like, <laughs> oh, the rest of the army was all killed off on the way over here. So it's implying this thing of like this threat is horrible and it's like here and it's been around forever. But people are just. Like now reacting, it doesn't feel like there's been a hundred years of war between them. It feels like it's just now happening right now. Yeah, it also feels weird then if your entire vast army, which I've got a feeling because they couldn't afford all the extras, uh, yeah. it, if they all died off on their journey here to have this wedding, then why is everyone such a happy, laid back mood at the wedding? Like, everyone's just celebrating the wedding, like, oh, it's just a happy occasion, nothing bad will happen. And of course, they- the slayers show up and invade the castle during the wedding, which, let's mm-hmm. not gloss over the wedding itself here, uh, which they do a bit of stuff where the, the, the you know, uh, what's his name, Colwyn is like dipping his, he's got his swords on fire and he dips the sword in some water and he's like, uh, this, I, I give the fire to the water and the only person who will bring the fire back is the woman who will be my bride. And then the bride puts her hand in the water and says, I take this fire and I'll give this fire to my husband-to-be. And then she pulls out her hand and she's literally, and obviously it's a visual effect, but she's right. holding a fireball in her hand and like hands it back to the sword. And I'm like, okay, is this well, a thing? Does she have firepowers? Like what's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, it it I mean the way they play it off it seems like it's just one of those things of like oh this is just tradition or whatever and it's some level of low level magic of just a thing that they can mm-hmm. do in this world so be it I'm fine with that. The problem I have with it is the fact that it's it's a setup. Like this whole thing at the beginning is supposed to be a setup for the very finale of the movie and it it fails so hard on that because when they finally bring it back up in the finale, I'm like, really? That was the important bit? You actually had to finish the ceremony in order to make the big magic thing happen? Okay. Yeah. The Slayers invade the castle. There's fighting. Yeah, the princess everyone tr- dies. Yeah, Princess tries to get away, but they capture her. Uh, one of the only interesting things arguably the movie does is that when she's back in the the, the dark castle or whatever we're calling it um mm. like 
they always show the main villain, the main monster, sort of obscurely. Do you ever get like a clear shot of him? And he does yeah. feel, depending on the scenes, sometimes he feels more like he's a mythical creature. But there are some scenes where he does look more alien. And I guess I was like, oh, maybe that's a bit sci-fi because technically, to this planet, how many of these people are aliens? Like, yeah. Technically, so uh yeah i was like okay okay that, that's a fine idea uh mm. they kind of treat the inside of the building though kind of like it's like a like a mythical place with all these walkways that are closing behind her and these well, rooms that are like big claws that she's standing in and things like that all right so here was my idea this opening scene and i honestly think it would have made it better by the way i found the name it's called the black fortress we we're close so yeah we were close um so i thought that because we never saw like straight on the beast as they keep on referencing him is oh, that you were thinking a uh, man behind the curtain style thing not yeah not even man behind the curtain as much as like as she moves through this castle we see things like bones and teeth and like muscle looking stuff i thought the beast was the fortress like I thought that this whole thing was oh, okay. this creature they were going to have to take down pretty much. And he was just like embedded into it. Like the consciousness was but, the fortress but David, itself. David, that sounds interesting though. I was hoping for like the first <laughs> 45 minutes that this was going to turn it around. I really was. And it just never did. Uh, so yeah, like the old one, the old man played by Freddie Jones. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, Yanir or Obi-Wan Kenobi as I'm probably going to call him from now on. He just shows up and luckily Colwyn is alive. Like he's he's lying there alive and he wakes up when everyone else around him is dead. And the old man's like, oh yeah, your wife's been kidnapped. Everyone else is dead, including both your fathers. Well, your father and your father-in-law. And mm. It's like, okay, all right. And as you said, he weeps and whatever. He gets a bit of reaction out. And then they're outside and he's like, okay, if we're going to go and get her back and we have to go to the Dark Fortress, then uh, you're going to have to go and get this weapon. So I already described this earlier. We get like this extended five minutes of him just casually walking and climbing up this mountain as if it's just a bit of sport. And when he gets into the room, like he pulls out of the apparently lava uh, (laughs) this... uh, I'll call it the deadly fidget spinner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, so the the official name for it is the Glaive. G-L-A-I-V-E. Uh-huh. It's a shuriken. Like, that's actually what it is. Well, a it's a shuriken that, like, it's, pops out those spikes at the end. It's a bit bigger than a shuriken, though. A shuriken's, like, True. a smaller... Th- this, this, is, this is, like, boomerang-sized. Um, yeah. And like you say, blades kind of pop out of all the, all the spokes. Um, the poster makes it look like it, all f- it fires laser beams. I don't recall it firing five laser it beams at not. any point. No. Nope. Um, so he looks back in the water and he sees a few other things in here. There's a Terry's chocolate orange that doesn't look very good. And there's a used copy of uh, Bicentennial Man 2 on DVD. But he didn't take that either. So it nah. uh, comes back down the mountain. <laughs> You know, we could just make up whatever we want about this movie. No one would know. I know. I'm just trying to entertain myself because the movie's boring as shit. Okay? Yeah. I was falling asleep repeatedly. Anyway, uh, the one interesting thing, though, is that when he pulls it out of the water, or sorry, lava, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of coated in like a sort of thin layer of rock and it kind of peels off and crumbles like, to reveal the actual weapon. I was yeah. like, okay, that was a nice enough visual, I suppose. Uh, 
My my favorite thing is they go ahead, they do that visual, and then instead of showing the whole long climb back down, he's just immediately back with Obi-Wan. Which further implies how easy it is. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But my favorite thing is he's like, he walks up, he shows it to him, and he's just immediately ready to throw it. And Obi-Wan's like, whoa, 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 kid, kid. That's used for very important things. Don't just throw it willy-nilly. You'll know the proper time to use it. And all I could think, even at that point, was the VFX department doesn't want to deal with this right now. No, We're no, going no. to hold that off as long as possible. And they hold it off until the final fight. Like, we don't, yeah. he doesn't use it until then. Uh, it also does reek a little bit of, like, oh, let's blindfold them and, like, have them fight a, like, a little droid target with oh, his yeah. new weapon. Uh, but how will I know? You will feel it's deep in your soul. It binds us and collects us, moves us. Yes, it's called the farce. <laughs> I'm not going to... That's that's the punchline to the joke. <laughs> so, honestly, the next bunch of scenes, like, I might get them slightly out of order, so I don't think it matters, though. It's basically just a series mm-hmm. of them meeting different people, right? Yep. Uh, there's the wizard who turns himself into an animal when he tries to turn them into an animal. Yeah, you call him a wizard, but I'd say if we're talking about D and D, the closest thing he feels like is the bard. Like he's that okay. weird, quirky sort of character. He doesn't work with music. He actually works with what seems <clears throat> to be more like recipes, and like he writes down these spells. So it is close to like the wizard class, but just personality-wise, he's yeah. The that, that's what I was relief. thinking. He had spells written down, so I was thinking yeah. wizard. Maybe it's just because I, like I said. There was the wizard in the campaign that I watched that was turning into right. an animal that made me... Uh... I guess it's just whenever I think of wizard, I do think more of like Dumbledore, sort of like old sure, wise yeah. and whatever. Well, we kind of is... get that as well, actually. The seer who mm-hmm. they encounter a little bit, uh, yes. get, get more of a wizardy look to him, uh, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, this guy ends up joining because he, he doesn't want to go with them, but when he tries to walk in the other direction, he sees a cyclops in the forest and doubles back and joins up, kind of reluctantly because he's scared yeah. uh this cyclops by the way turns out to be a friendly friendly dude who's actually just wants to help because he feels it in his bones that something bad's happening and he's here to protect or something oh there was a little bit of backstory the the, the old man at one yeah. point just says oh this is why the cyclops exist or who they are and yeah so the they get attacked by slayers once we get the whole bandit crew as well but they get attacked by Buffy, slayers. faith Cy- kendra the whole gang yeah the um the cyclops throws like a spear that's his weapon of choice attacks one of the slayers to save uh ergo the magnificent and we get the backstory that the cyclops originally were two-eyed men and this is what made it seem like okay this black fortress has been around for generations because way way back when they made a deal with the beast to be able to see the future and the cost of that deal was they had to give up one of their eyes however the beast double-crossed them and made it so that the future they could see is just the moment of their death and nothing more. Mm. So it's given him a tragic backstory. It gives him motivation against the beast. I'm okay with this from a character perspective, but beyond his backstory, he does nothing. None of the characters do anything beyond their backstory. Now, when they meet the seer, who is going to come with them and help them find... And this is the thing, is that some of these characters, like, the way they sort of agree to go just felt so underwhelming to me, mm-hmm. where he'll, li- like, Colwyn will literally lean in and say, hey, you should come with us. Uh, and I think I think it's the seer who says, 
uh, you know, oh, I am of great, this, this mission is of great, of great importance. And all Colwyn does to convince him goes, yeah, this is going to be really great. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. okay, let's go then. And I'm like, cool. that's it. That, that That's all it took. Uh, he's also got a kid that was staying with him. So the kid comes mm-hmm. along as well uh, at this point. Yeah. Well, it's it's important to note that this is, again, after they got the uh, bandit crew, but essentially this black fortress, every sunrise, it disappears and reappears somewhere else in the world. So nobody's yeah. able to, like, track it down. No one knows where it is, except the Emerald Seer. So when they go and visit him, they're like, hey, bro, where is it at? And he pulls up his magic emerald. He tries to see it. But because of the beasts of magic... He's unable to do so, so he needs to go with them to a swamp where there are three trees. And as soon as this part happened, I'm like, okay, this is the D&D campaign. You've got the whole party together now. You just met the NPC, and you have to go get the MacGuffin in a very specific location. Like, there's no changing that from this point forward in my mind. It's all just a campaign. Yeah, there's a visual here where he's trying to see where the the, the Death Star is and like Mm -hmm. a demon hand sort of comes out and crushes his gem. And it's like, okay, okay, so he's got like protection magic that's stopping the prying eyes of the of the seer okay yep. whatever like you said in between these two characters like i said i've forgotten the order of all these but in between That's meeting whatever. the the uh you know ergo the 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 magician the character and the seer hmm. uh we get the the group of bandits who are trying to rob them at first but then colwyn kind of convinces them he's the he's the prince because he's got the keys to their shackles and i'm like what is there only one key to all the shackles for every bandit and the <laughs> No, they specifically say there are exactly two keys two, to all the shackles right. and everything. <laughs> Which comes up at the end because it seems like Colwyn's offering the job of his uh his second in command to to uh what's his face? Uh oh I couldn't tell Torquil. Uh, Torquil. Yeah. yeah. Torquil's the leader of the bandits. Liam Neeson's also in the bandits. They're they're the two that get the most time. Although Coltrane's in the bandits as well. Uh yeah, there's Torquil, uh Keegan is Liam Neeson, and Rune is Coltrane, and then the rest of them are red shirts. They are red shirts, indeed. So, the team's together, and... And the Cyclops joins in, like we said as well, somewhere in here. He has to join the forest, though, because he's sort of keeping his distance, but then he, it's when the Slayers attack, the Cyclops jumps in and saves. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's Ergo he saves. Because Ergo was scared of him, but then the Cyclops saves him, and it's like, oh, maybe he's a friendly dude. Uh, yeah. So then he's with them. And it's the, this point in the movie, when they're all distracted with this fighting, that a second seer shows up and sneaks up behind the seer and seemingly kills him, right? We don't, I guess we don't see that yeah. in the moment. We find out quite quickly, though, because the Cyclops finds his dead body. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically what this is, is a changeling. And there's some, so the changeling is impersonating the seer, and this, this changeling is going to kill Colwyn and sneak up on him. But yep. the Cyclops finds the dead body, runs up and yells, it's something, you know. It's a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> Colwyn turns around and just uh, swipes his sword. And mm-hmm. uh, I think even maybe even the, the, the main beast kind of like senses that he's failed and sort of yeah. sends some, I don't know. So it sends a, a virus back his way, like, oh, you failed. Yeah. You know. there's, there's this thing where we get later on, because we keep on, not every time in between scenes, but every once in a while, we'll cut back to the princess in the Black Fortress. And essentially the beast is saying like, hey, heard you was getting married. How would you like to get hitched to me instead? I've got unlimited power. And she's like, no, I'm married for love. And he's like, pshaw, love? 
let me let me show you a little magic TV screen to show you how much I'm going to kill your boyfriend. Because there's a second changeling. This is one of the scenes yeah. where uh, we're with her. Uh, the the party, the D and D party, uh, yeah. have went to one of Liam Neeson's wives who happened to live in this forest he's uh, got like eight wives and honestly that's probably the best characterization to any character in this movie <laughs> but they go there for some sustenance they're all hungry and they, they mm-hmm. don't, they're they all too weak to hunt so they go there they're getting fed and this blonde woman who was just there apparently because she didn't come with the yeah. guys she must have just been hanging out with the wife yeah she was uh someone who was staying with the wife I, that was like a barely a conversation that happened between Neeson and his wife but uh, she starts to come on to, to Colwyn, and this is actually another changeling. This is a ploy by the Dark Beast, who is like showing this to the princess and saying, look, he's going to give in. He's going to betray you and sleep with this wench. And she's like, no, he would never. And sure enough, Colwyn says, no, no, I'm a, I, I cannot betray my wife, my beloved. I'm a virgin, and I've been waiting for marriage. Uh... And she basically just gets upset quite quickly and sort of shows her hand that she's actually a creature, a changeling. She gets mm-hmm. her claws out. Um, and the, the dark beast decides to, like, change his tactics here. Where he's like, well, if if he's not going to fall for it, then she can just kill him. So she tries to kill him. And yeah. uh, obviously, Colwyn and Co are able to defuse the situation. Dispatch her. Right, well, and then at that point, the beast is like, "Okay, all right, fine. I won't do. I won't try to corrupt him anymore because clearly he's incorruptible. But if you don't marry me, I'm just going to keep on sending more slayers until they die. So you can stop this whenever you want." And then we never cut back to her again. <laughs> oh dear, I don't know if it was before this scene or after this scene, but they encounter some quicksand. Uh, I think it's before, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get a whole, like, them daisy chain themselves, try to save everyone. And, of course, there's one red shirt who does go under and dies. Mm-hmm. And it's a good five minutes of your screen time. It's it's like, you know what? I saw the never-ending story. The scene with the horse was much more impactful. This it is, was. Uh, this is nothing. I feel nothing. I, I, I think the point that bothered me so much about that scene is that all the other characters made it out like what felt like so effortlessly. So the fact that this guy was the one that got caught behind, it just kind of felt like, well, you weren't even trying then. Everyone else just was just fine. And also, maybe this was just me, but I was staring down the Obi-Wan character during this scene. Everyone else was making a daisy chain and he was just standing there off to the side like, hmm, well, that sucks. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so... The seer's gone, right? And they're like, okay, how do we find the... the By the, the way, oh. did we mention that the kid is still around and he's just he's just a kid with the group now? And he's like, oh, the seer's dead. He was my only family. And then these like 12 guys are like, we're your family now. <laughs> That's right. That's what Colin said. We're your family now, which sounds like a threat. But, yeah, it, you know, it's... Hey, it was it's a different time and a different place. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, okay? Da, 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 da. Continue. So, like, how do we find the fortress now? And Obi-Wan's like, I've got an idea. All right, guys. Oh, my ex is around here. <laughs> well, he I might reve- be able to talk to her. He doesn't reveal that's where she is at first. He just says that, yeah. okay, so there's the, the widow on the web, and... 
she has like a real name and i know what it is so i have i can get past her and like have power over her it turns out the reason why he knows her name when he does get to her is because it's his ex-wife so we yep. get this effectively a short film of him going through this creepy spider's layer where there's just a bunch of webs and he's like sort of climbing on the webs and trying to get through it there's a kind of a dodgy animatronic spider <laughs> like there that's that's definitely stop motion that's stop definitely motion, harry yeah. yeah uh and, and he's like just sort of almost dying but he gets to the center where the the widow is inside the sort of central web sort of room mm-hmm. and turns out this is his ex and she just kind of casually confesses here that the reason why she became this 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 widow of the web thing was a punishment because she killed their child and he's like, what? What are you talking about? We didn't have a child. And she's like, yes, we did. We had a son. And as soon as he was born, I killed him. And I was like, okay. And then the line that got to me, because she sort of turns her back and she's saying, oh, I, I can't help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is she says something to the effect of, uh, or he says something to the effect of, yes, I, I know it's uh, like, it's normal to have hatred for a woman when she killed your son and i'm like well yeah no shit you don't have yeah. to say that out loud it's pretty but it, it led into a line of forgiveness he was like i still see you just as beautiful as you were back then which and she changes back to her beautiful form is it just me or does it seem a bit quick to forgive her for that he's literally just found out she did it i mean yes but at the <laughs> same time he didn't even know he had a son, so it's not like he was that attached to it. It's either. still a He's big like, thing to find it is, out. It is. It is. It is. I'm not also, gonna argue. Okay. Did, she, did she give a compelling reason as to why she did that? Uh, yeah, she said, "I hated you so much for leaving us. I had to take my anger out on him." Yeah, that doesn't make it sound better. She's still a psychopath. No, it does not. She sounds yeah. awful. That sounds okay. like just straight vengeance for evil's sake. But go on. So he, here's the thing that I got really hopeful for. Like, we got to say, this is over an hour into the David, movie well. David, 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 well, you ignorant slot. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, I get it. However, the point that you're skipping over here is that as this guy goes in and he says, like, oh, hey, I know her, is as the spider's attacking, he manages to delay it by saying her real name. And her real name is Lissa. Yes. The same as the princess. So she's like stops the spider temporarily enough for him to get in and talk to her. And then they start oh, talking about like, also, oh. also, he's on a timer for this, by the way, because like, on his yeah. way in, like she's got a, a big egg timer that she flips over with like magic sand yeah. in it. And like if it gets to the bottom of you know, if the sand runs out like that, that's it. The spider will attack. Yeah. yeah. So. I thought and and then they, you know, they start the conversation saying, hey, uh, we used to we we saw each other back decades ago, and he when he says Lissa, she's like, "Oh, you haven't caught me that since I last saw you." I thought because I was still waiting for the science fiction shoe to drop, we were going to do a goddamn time loop here, <laughs> where old man Obi Wan was actually just Corwin, and Lissa was still Lissa, and this is like the bad timeline where. He never rescued her and he went off and did his thing and she was still captured by the beast for like however long. You th- I thought you we were thought doing a they were going time to loop. do the third act of the Lost in Space movie. Oh, you sweet child. I was hoping. I was hoping because like why else would you name another character the same name as the princess who was lost? 
That seems like such a strange choice unless you're doing this time loop thing. I think what they were going for in this scene is that she felt a, a tinge of sympathy because it was it, it was something for her to connect to, like a little bit of humanity, like oh this young yeah. woman is just like me, literally has the same name. I think that's what they were they were going for. And yes, that is ended up being what it was. By the time the scene was done, I gave up on my hope of a time loop, and I realized that's what we were going for. But like, God, they had something so cool they could have played with there, and they just didn't. And it. Uh, that's the point where I was officially gave up hope. Yeah. I was hoping right up until then. I was like, all right, whatever. Get your magic MacGuffin. And by the way, the whole reason, like we said, they went to go get the spider woman is that they were like, hey, she might know where it is. And in fact, she does. She knows yeah. exactly where it's going to be for the next 24 hours before it moves again. But no man can leave this area. So she breaks the egg timer and gives him the magic sand. So mm-hmm. he literally sort of like, drops it in front of the spider it confused the spiders like oh the sand's dropping i can't attack yeah for some reason the sand is a spider repellent which okay cool i guess uh, but also when he runs out of sand it's attached to his own life so <laughs> and he's also yeah now dead he gets out he has his dying words where he tells colwyn and the rest of them where the, the palace is going to be but that's it like he's done so we lose yeah. him we lose our obi-wan uh fair enough who cares <laughs> that's how you feel when the obi-wan dies oops right oh well is that and is this where they they, they spot some horses conveniently running around so they grab well, the ho- they, <laughs> they they specifically say like okay he said it's out in the iron desert that is as they say it a thousand leagues from here and there's no way we can walk that far in one day it's physically impossible to which i think the cyclops speaks up and he's like well, there is a creature who can run that far in one day, the fire mares. And so then they just hunt down these horses and do your scene. Yes, they're just horses, except after they've been riding them for a bit, mm-hmm. we get what I can only describe, the wide shot. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Uh, you probably know what I'm going to say here, but the wide shot of this looked like the Santa Claus. It looked like the reindeer running yeah. through the sky because it was a line of horses all flying through the air and they had mm-hmm. this sort of little fire effect on their feet so it gave you this sort of sense of magical footsteps and yeah. the horses running through the sky and jumping over cliffs and that's mm-hmm. that's how they ride into the third act that, that... it is it is also worth noting that the cyclops character he had to stay behind here because his vision of his death said uh, nope i don't go there i stay here so i have to stay here uh, and everyone was just like, all right, cool, man, bye. Which I actually think's stupid because then he raids in to help and dies in the process of doing that, meaning why did they have to stay? But it's just because he came in later. He, he knows he has to like, wait like an extra 10 minutes. Well, they, they specifically said, I think the young kid was like, yeah, the whole reason he's not coming is because if he fights against his fate, he can do that, but it's of great pain to him. So mm. he does it despite great pain it doesn't explain anything and i hate that explanation but they at least attempt to do something actually it was a great little bit when they're walking earlier uh where the cyclops is with them where you can tell the actor in the cyclops makeup obviously couldn't really see through the makeup yeah right because someone dropped like a pole or something or like a spear and he Mm -hmm. bends down to sort of pick it up but you can tell the way he sort of moves his hand around that he can't actually see where it is. So he yeah. has to kind of, he has to feel for it like a blind person. And it's, and obviously it's because, yeah, he's got this makeup covering his eyes and then the fake eye in the middle for where he's, right. you know, so he's I'm faking go, being able to see. I'm going to go ahead and chalk that up to Cyclops don't have depth perception. <clears throat> 
that makes sense to me. Uh, but no, actually, you just remind me of this. So this entire time, Ergo the Magician has been buddy-buddy with this kid. And they talk about, like, what wishes they want. And Ergo's like, oh, I would love a, a pie as big as a house. But the kid oh. just wants a puppy. Just a single puppy. That's all he would want. Ergo does not shut up about gooseberry pie this whole movie. It's all he no, wants he is gooseberry pie. To the point where it leads him into danger when he sees, like, a gooseberries. Yes. Just uh, in the field. I've never had a gooseberry, never made a gooseberry pie. So no, same. I, I don't even know. If it's, is it a real thing? Are gooseberries a real thing? It sounds like a real thing, but I, I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, that's not something I care enough to look up. So I, I don't think it's the first time I've heard the word, so I, I'm assuming it's a real thing. Right, gooseberry. I'm Googling. It's a real Does thing. It... All right. The little... In this magical fantasy world on a far-off planet in a galaxy far away, gooseberries are still a thing. It looks... They look kind of like grapes, actually. I'd imagine most berries usually look like grapes, but... Oh, do strawberries look like grapes? Most berries. I clarified. <laughs> they look like grapes with like some sort of subtle stripes on them, is how I'd describe okay. them, based on these photos. Well, anyway. I guess they're delicious. Anyway, so uh, during that scene where he was picking up the poles, he said... Um, we had Ergo just run off away from the group for a second, use his magic to transform into a little Basset Hound puppy, and then rejoin the group in order to cheer up the kid, because this is right after the seer died. So he's like, hey, look, I'm a puppy. And the kid's like, oh, my God, it's great, fantastic. And it lasts for maybe like five minutes before they reach a campsite and he transforms back, and that's like the end of that. But it does give a little bit of characterization of saying Ergo cares about other people here it's probably the most characterization anyone gets to be honest is, is that yeah. little gesture that he does um it's also like his running joke here is also kind of a payoff in a way it pays off again later actually but it pays off here because he's transferred into an animal twice before this and both times it was an accident once it was when he was first met the characters the second mm -hmm. time it's when the slayers showed up he tried to help in the fight by trying to turn them into something and he instead turned into an animal himself Here's the first. You, here's the yeah. first time he actually intentionally changed himself into an animal. So mm. it felt like a, a sort of sweet payoff to that. So uh, minor points, minor points for that. Yeah, they they know basic story structure. It's just not a good story being told here. Mm. It's not a cohesive plot. Um, but yeah, like you said, everyone runs up to the Black Fortress. They do manage to get to it before sunup, just barely. So they have to very quickly try to climb in. And this is where we lose like three red shirts, sure. maybe. Like a bunch of people all dies or yeah. trying to climb I think in. What got me is that once some of them are inside and they're running down these corridors and particularly those walkways that are like little bridges over like chasms, mm. I'm like, oh, this, this is just the Death Star. This is, you know, those walkways on yeah. the Death Star where if at one point he even swings on a, on a rope, uh, which admittedly is also That's like a, a swashbuckling adventure, but Star Wars also took it from that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, wh whether it's, it's taking it's the Xerox of a Xerox problem, yeah, whether it's doing it because Star Wars did it or it's doing it because of the same things that Star Wars took it from, doesn't really matter. Either way, it felt like, like oh, okay, okay, we're we're just doing that now. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, once we're in here, Liam Neeson croaks, he he gets killed. Mm -hmm. uh, the Cyclops is crushed in a door, trying to hold it open for the group. Yeah, he makes a big sort of daring entrance, like riding in on his horse and fights off a bunch of the bad guys. But yeah, like you said, he, he's trying to hold this, like, this uh, trash compactor style door uh, open while the others get through and then he gets crushed. Have you ever wanted to see what would happen if the trash compactor scene didn't have 3PO and R2 up there trying no. to solve it? There you go. That's it. 
yeah, actually, on that subject, I suppose the one minorly interesting thing I can say about the fighting in this, because the fighting's not good, but mm. some of the slayers, when they die, get their heads cut off, and there's, like, sort of, like, blood pours yeah. out of their heads, and I thought that was actually quite graphic for what this movie is. It looks like it's blood, but then it also looks like there's some sort of weird little, like, creature, like, tentacle creature that mm. crawls out and, like, falls onto the ground somehow, and that's the closest I think it really feels to sci-fi, but it's just as easily explainable with magic as yeah. well. Well, because it feels like, a, yeah, like a, an alien brain thing controlling a robot body or something like that. Right, absolutely. But, like I said, when they hit them with the swords and stuff, it doesn't feel like that should be enough to kill them if they're just robots bodies so then i have to fall back on well it's magic then it's a kind of magic i actually looked up specifically the arthur c clark quote of any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic because i felt like it really almost applied here except for the fact that all of it's just magic they don't even (laughs) bother trying to explain how any of it's technology uh, honestly, like, this is the thing. They get to the door where I should mention the Ergo turns into a tiger to help fight the bad guys. Which yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, they get they get separated. The kid yeah. and Ergo get separated off. And they have to do their own thing. So, but, but our main character Colwyn gets to the, the door that sort of separates him from his princess, and he just holds up the the the, the fidget spinner of doom, and yep. it just starts cutting into the door, and he literally just stands there and watches it. And this was the moment where I went. Is he not even going to do anything to like use this? He just stands nope. and watches it do its thing. And that was bad enough. But once he actually gets in and he's reunited with her, they hug, they kiss, whatever. And then the mm-hmm. big demony monster alien thing starts getting angry. And he has, to, he has to fight that. As like, okay, here we go. Here's your big payoff. This is what the movie's been building to the whole time. And then it's the same thing. He throws <laughs> he throws the, the, the glaive... Right, that's the real name of it. Yeah. Right, the fidget spinner. He throws it, and it just kind of like s- keeps slashing into the beast. And what makes it worse? Not only is he just standing there watching it with all this, because there's like a lot of light beaming at him, right? As he's just holding his hand out, as if he's waiting for it to come back. Mm-hmm. This thing just keeps like stabbing into him until eventually it just hits the right spot because. With no build-up, with no crescendo, with no idea that, like, oh, he's, they're almost going to lose, but then they win at the last second. No, no, no. None of that. It just keeps cutting into him until eventually it hits the magic spot where he goes, ah, and, like, falls back and dies. I, I thought it was even worse than that because not only does it keep not keep going into him, like, yeah, it hits him once or twice, but then there's an extended segment where, like, the beast and this fidget spinner are playing chicken with each other of like, who's going to move? Who's going to do it? Who's going to, who's going to whatever. Then the beast fires off a bolt from his mouth or whatever. And then the fidget spinner finally goes, ha ha, you fool. And he plunges itself into the chest. And when I say he, I mean the fidget spinner because Colwyn is doing nothing. He's, stand- he's just standing he's there. He's just like- standing there with his hand out. That's all he's doing the whole time. It's, I guess it's like implied that he's mentally controlling it to some extent, but like he's not. Because he doesn't seem like he has any control over this thing whatsoever. They have not established that. See if they'd done a scene earlier where he's trying to learn how to use it and he's like practicing and he, he yeah. manages to get it up a little bit and get, gets it to cut into something. It'd be like, okay, that establishes that he has to focus to do this. But that's the thing. He doesn't look focused when he's looking here. It looks like he's just slightly amused. He's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, this is working. No, no, very good. Yeah, this is easy. I feel like if this were like a parody movie, they would have this exact scene. But on the third cutback, he'd just like have his phone out and he'd just be scrolling with the hand still extended he'd be like yeah no you're good you got it keep going 
Yeah, this feels like if you're playing a video game and you put it on baby mode and just kind of like mm. mash X as you're doing something else. I mean, I'd say the closest thing is like the space between the quick time events. He needs to make sure he's good to catch it if it ever starts flying <laughs> back to him. But beyond that, he's just waiting for the cutscene to end. Yeah, so none of this is engaging. This entire yep. final act is just... It's, in some ways, it's the worst part of the movie because it just it, it completely whiffs on everything it could possibly do that could be interesting. My, you skipped over one little line that pissed me off to no regard, and that is as he's approaching this room where the princess is being kept, he's he's only got like three guys left with him right now, three of the bandits. Everyone else has either died or is split off. And mind you, the entire reason for having all these people here is to take on the beast like that is the goal. So as we're walking up to this final place, he knows the princess is inside. He turns to Torquil and says, "Okay, I have to do this for alone from now on. Get out of here." And I'm like, "What was the point of picking up the party? Why did we bother with that the whole way through if you were just going to turn them away at the final fight?" It just pissed me off, especially because then they throw the remaining <sighs> bandits down into a Indiana Jones spike pit where it's just slowly closing in on them and ends up killing one more. Yeah, it just felt undone. It honestly, I have nothing. I, like, I'm trying to search for like something interesting to say about this movie because mm-hmm. there is nothing. At least something like Mac and me over on Extra Reels, and this is kind of an Extra Reels caliber movie, if I'm honest. It's right? close. Even something like Mac and me has things to talk about. It surprises you with the crazy choices it makes. There's no crazy choices in this. Like, at every possible turn, it makes the most safe, like, least effort choice it could make Mm -hmm. and just says, oh, no, that's it. Right? That'll do. That's the attitude. (laughs) I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. But there is one little thing that I was confused about, especially as a choice, which is he uses the glaive it impales him in the chest and then it's stuck there he he tries to recall it we see it like struggling like three times we see it struggling over and over again and it's just not able to free itself from his chest so then corbin goes over to go pick it up and as he approaches it turns out the beast is still alive and now he doesn't have access to the glaive anymore because it's still stuck in his chest. So they need to kill okay, the beast actually, a different I, way. I want to emphasize, he stands mm-hmm. and tries to force pull this glaive back towards him for like mm-hmm. a good minute. And it's kind yeah. of starting to move out of the creature's chest, but then it kind of goes back in a little bit, which is, was kind of weird. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, like it has a mind of its own and it just sees him and he's like, nah, I'm good, man. You've yeah. used me. I'm, I'm the deus ex, but I'm done now. You're just not worthy anymore. Sorry, Colin. So, <laughs> I mean, it's probably. Uh, so at this point, he realizes like, okay, the beast is still up. I don't have the glaive. What am I supposed to do? I have no way of fighting this. And his princess turns to him and says, oh, but like, essentially, you're the chosen one. You don't have to worry. Like, you, you can do this. And he turns to his wife and says, no, we're the chosen one. Remember our wedding ritual? You still got that fire in your hand? And she just opens her hand and it's like, <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, okay. Guess she was keeping that for a while. So then he takes the fire from her and now that unlocks his one spell slot and he uses it to use firebolt on the beast. I mean, it's more and of a flamethrower, if I'm out. honest. Like, he's just yeah. like spraying flames at him. And 
that just that just wins and they run out of the castle right they grab the mm-hmm. people who are still alive they get them out even injured uh, Erwin or was it Ergo that's Ergo. his name uh, and <laughs> I like Erwin more uh, they get out of the building and it sort of crumbles and starts to fade away bit by bit because uh, mm-hmm. magic I guess I don't know it gets pulled back up into the atmosphere there may as well have been a space laser yeah. just aiming down at it and the so you just you hear the narration as they're all being happy and hugging each other, and Colwyn's like, "Yeah, I'm kind of king now. Do you want to be my second in command?" And then they're walking off into the the sunny field together. There's a freeze mm-hmm. frame, and the credits roll. That's yep. that. That's your movie. It, th- this movie somehow just avoids making a single interesting choice for its mm-hmm. entire two hour duration. It keeps doing the most obvious basic thing. And then none of the characters are are entertaining or have any stream presence. The main dude is like, like I said, plain white bread. Um, mm-hmm. The romance is not compelling because they just present it to us at the start. There's no like, oh, this is how they meet and like there's a spark between them, so you sort of get a sense of like how they feel. Yeah. It, it's you know, it it starts off with tropes like the idea of oh, the two kingdoms are coming together through marriage. Nothing, it's derivative it's it's derivative but somehow does all the things in the most dull way possible like i can't believe i'm going to say this but rebel one is probably slightly better than this rogue one or rebel moon rebel moon sorry <laughs> the, the Zack snyder movie you don't have to have it yeah no yeah absolutely because <laughs> right. that is equally if not more derivative but mm-hmm. I, i'll say i'll say this at least I hate Zack Snyder's style, but he does have one. He is at least doing things his way. This yeah. movie feels like there's not a single creative bone in its body. And the director did Bullet, so he's, he's, he has done at least one critically kind of acclaimed movie. So mm-hmm. I guess it just shows that sometimes it's the script, sometimes it's the other people involved that make, make something work. Yeah. You know, I was I, I just decided to look into... Um the uh, writer seeing what he did because obviously the script does have its problems and the other thing that this guy wrote that I see coming up here is the ice pirates which (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong Pete but isn't that also a vote that we had Uh, for extra reels I don't know if it's one that we've had or one that's still coming up. No, it was. It was uh, the extra reels 80 sci-fi. It was that or Mac and me. Oh, Mac and me won. So, okay, very good. Cool. So we don't have to do this guy anymore. I'm all right with that. Well... Just because it know. lost the vote doesn't mean it will never get done. It just means it will be a, at least a little while. Yeah, fair enough. Although I do love looking at his writing filmography. There was Krull. There was a movie called The Man Who Wasn't There, which only got a 3.8 stars on IMDb. And then Ice Pirates. And then he nothing. He never wrote again. I think we should all be thankful of that fact. That's the best possible ending. Because this, this is a terrible script. This is, this is just bad. Mm. Like... Maybe you could argue they just cut out all of the stuff that made it interesting, but at a certain point, you have to accept that this is just, yeah, you know, it's it's a bland, this, nothing script. This didn't feel to me like it was cut to pieces. It felt like they had everything in the movie they wanted to show. It just wasn't good to begin with. It just didn't oh, yeah. have a straight through line. I agree. I'm just playing devil's advocate. If you know, if you like, sometimes you could say, "Oh, a script looks bad because the editing's completely annihilated mm-hmm. it." But you can usually kind of get a sense of is it that way around or is it just a script that, you know, base value is not very good. And Mm. this is not uh, in any way, shape or form. I get that some people may have grown up seeing this when they were little and probably have a lot of nostalgia for it. I could totally see that. That makes sense to me. This strikes me as a sort of movie that because it bombed probably went on to like 
TV stuff, like TV airings. And that's how a lot of kids probably remember it growing up, where they're like, oh, yeah, this was on like every Friday night for like three months of my childhood. And I just remember it so fondly, yeah. despite the fact that it wasn't good. And there's a reason why it went straight to TV like that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm glad because I've heard the name for years. I guess I'm glad I've crossed it off just so it's done. Mm. I never have to think about it again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's definitely not going to be something I'm considering for, you know, when we get to like a top 25 of the 80s or anything like that. I mean, I'll put it on my list, but it's not to say that it's going to make the top part of the list. Hmm. All right, David, what are you rating Crawl out of 10? Uh, God, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's such a... Because, again, I, I had some fun once I stopped caring, you know? Like, once I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's just... Don't worry about anything making sense. Don't worry about anything being a, like a twist or interesting or anything like that. This is literally comfort food, the movie, where it's everything you've ever seen before sent to you in a much more safer, sterile package. So honestly, I can't fault the movie too hard in that it's like not horrible, but it was just so boring most of the way through that like I never want to see it again. So I think all in all... Uh, probably like 4.5 for me just barely under the average mark in that i don't think that it's good but it's also not doing anything that's like offensive either it's literally the definition of background noise yeah i gotta be a bit harsher because i just found a slog to get through so uh, i'm going with a flat three out of ten for this one Oof. all right fair all enough right. not not for me it's 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 not to my taste in the first place, but on top of that, I think it actively is just poor at everything it's doing. Mm. So uh, I can understand some people have to sell it as a kid having some sense of nostalgia for it, but I have nothing positive to say. Um, in some ways, like I'm not saying it's better or worse than Rebel Moon, really, because I do think Rebel Moon made me angrier, but at mm. least I felt something. At least I felt mm. anger. I didn't feel anything for this. <laughs> Uh, that's the eternal question. Is it better to feel something negative or not feel anything at all? <laughs> nah, at least negative can have some passion. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it's going to be, it would add an extra 20 minutes to this review, but yeah. this is where we're just up. Well, luckily we've got some, some of your homework to pad things yes. out a little bit, which we'll get to in a second. I'll just say, yeah, mm -hmm. if you want some bonus shows, uh, obviously we have the Atomic Sim Experiment. I do uh, Streams After Midnight with Tim, which is a horror movie show. And then we, of course, do Collector's Cut, where we work through franchises and stuff that aren't either horror or sci-fi. You know, we we've done Dirty Harry, uh, we'll be doing Ghostbusters soon, stuff that's, you know, of, of other genres and uh, other collections of movies and things like that. Uh, but if you want some bonus even content on top of all that, you can go over to patreon.com, support all the content, help keep it all coming. Uh, me and David do two monthly shows that are exclusive on there. We do the Criterion Cup, where once a month we review a movie from the Criterion Collection. So, you know, high caliber, critically praised movies. You know, crawl. <laughs> and then... We have extra reels at the five dollar and up tier, which is where we review some of the worst things of all time. And this is, this would have fit right in there for the most part. To be honest, it's maybe not quite as dramatically bad as some of those yeah. movies, but it's it it. I don't think it would have felt weird if we'd done it on extra reels. Now that I've watched nah, it, I I I think I 
it probably would have actually done better on extra reels because I would have went into it with a completely different mindset. Sure, I would have went into sure. it expecting like something corny and hokey and over the top. So, yeah, I mean, we've done Neil Breen movies on that show. We have done Dangerous Men, Miami Connection, Deadly Prey, a uh, whole bunch of interesting stuff. So mm-hmm. go check it out. Uh, recent episodes include Mac and Me, like we mentioned, or David Dakota's A Talking Cat. Oh, boy. So fun <laughs> stuff to hear us get upset about. Uh, or possibly... Yep get slightly kind of weirdly into and like sort of try and crack the code that is Neil Breen. Oh yeah, no, there's like, that's the thing over on that. We, we use a different rating scale where we have to determine whether or not it makes the cut. A lot of those make the cut. A lot of those are that fun. Yeah. So yes, every Mm. episode, David does a homework where he goes back and watches one of the sci-fi movies that we did on the show before he joined it. So that he can catch up in all those old movies and be, be as uh, educated as he can be. David, what was your sci-fi homework this week? Well, I could try to come up with some, uh, some tortured metaphor that somehow manages to connect the two movies. But if we're being honest, two weeks from now, we got a new release and I had to watch Dune part one before we (laughs) went to Dune part two. So Dune part one, um, I had not seen it before. I really did want to sit down, even since it came out, I really did want to sit down and watch that. But I just, I knew it was nearly three hours long. I just never wanted to commit the time to it. I was honestly going to do it last week with The Abyss, just picking out dates from a hat. That was a stupid idea. So I pushed it to this week instead. Um, but no, overall, I I enjoyed it. I actually, um, I, the reason I wanted to watch it so hard is because I watched Arrival like long before that. And I loved Arrival. Arrival was one of my all time greats there. So trying to get into Dune, obviously I've seen the 1984 version now. I think this movie does a much better job of explaining things in a way that feel natural to the plot rather than just whisperings of characters, because dear Lord, I do not miss that at all. Uh, Visual effects, fantastic the whole way through. I will say maybe it was because I started watching it at like, 8 30 9 p.m by the time we hit the last 45 minutes of the movie i was kind of just in and out of like caring at that point i kind of just felt like the movie had gone Mm. a bit too long and mind you that's after like a big attack scene and it kind of just winds down for a while i i i think this movie chose the wrong point to end the movie at but hey we're getting the rest of it in two weeks so i can't really complain that much about it um yeah, no, beyond that, I mean, I think that it's solid, but it definitely feels like it needs to be watched with part two. It doesn't feel that satisfying all on its own, but I did enjoy it um, for what I know of Dune. I'd never read the books or anything, but it seemed to be a much more faithful adaptation to stuff. Not nearly as fun as the 84 version, but more understandable mm. and nice to look at, I guess. So, any thoughts on my thoughts before I read it? <laughs> I mean, you're not like, just glowing with praise, which a lot of people were, and I I, I yeah. found myself feeling on the outside of that because everyone seemed to think it was the best thing ever when it came out in 2021, and I was kind of mm. lukewarm. I was like, yeah, it's not bad, but uh, it doesn't have as much personality as the 84 one. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And I, and I found myself feeling like it was a little bit of a slog because it was so long, it was only half the story, um yeah i i like 
you know, obviously we're going to do the second part and we'll see how it is, but uh, I wasn't in love with Dune as much as a lot of people were. Yeah, that's fine. I think probably if I did watch it, like, as it came out all those years back, I might have been up in that. I might have been caught up in all the hype of it, but Mm. this far after the fact, I'm like, eh, yeah, it was fine. It was good. It's going to be weird to see specifically Zendaya, like, because she's grown up a lot since that first movie. So it's going to be weird to see her so much older here. I wonder how they're going to really take care of that. But yeah, anyway, uh, overall, I'd say uh, 7.5. I think it was it's solid good, but like I cannot overstate just how much I was checking out in those last 45 minutes. Like I was ready for the movie to end and it just kept going. Mm. So that brings it down quite a bit there. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, that is the show, everyone. That is the Atomic Sam Experiment. We will be back next week with Mad Max 3 Beyond the Thunderdome. Uh, Or just Beyond Thunderdome. Either way, whatever. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Only because of below. Which I'm excited for because I've not seen that one. I know it's meant to be the weakest one, but I'm still kind of excited to see how it is. And if it is campaign silly, I'm kind of looking forward to that too, just to see uh, how, how it is. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, we'll also be starting uh, the Ghostbusters franchise on Collector's Cut next week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you're interested in that, go check out that too. Uh, but that is the show. So, thank you very much for joining. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. Mm-hmm.